0: Welcome to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series features founders, investors, and legal talent that will help you embrace technology and transform your organization for a better future. This series is hosted by Natalie Pierce, the chair of Gunderson Detmer's Labor and Employment Law Practice. Natalie and her guests are committed to helping you develop new playbooks to elevate your game.
1: This is Natalie, and it is great to be here with Nuri Bakor, a man on a mission to revolutionize the world through innovative technology. Nuri is the CEO and co-founder of LawGeeks, the first artificial intelligence company to receive a licensed practice law. They use artificial intelligence to transform legal operations by helping businesses automate the review and approval of contracts. This week, we focus on leveraging technology to help businesses, many of which still remain remote and distributed, run faster and better by automatically answering one simple question. Can I sign this? Customers who once waited weeks to get a simple contract approved can now complete the entire review and approval process in under 60 minutes. This allows legal teams to focus on the big picture instead of getting lost in paperwork. Nuri, welcome, and thanks for joining us. It's wonderful to speak with you.
0: Hi, Natalie. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is mine.
1: Oh, thank you. So let's start here. Can you please tell our audience a little bit about Logeeks and your path to become its co-founder and CEO?
0: Yes, with pleasure. So I'll start uh, with my own personal story. I come from a legal background. I worked at a big law firm out of Israel for about six years. Before that, I worked in-house for two more years. And throughout the, at the time, I was basically a corporate and commercial lawyer, and I handled a lot of contracts. And I got very frustrated by how inefficient that process was and the fact that I didn't have any good technology at my hands to make my life better. And uh, I started thinking about how we can make a big impact on the industry. And my idea that was more than seven years ago was that if you could train the computer to understand the language of contracts, we could automate a lot of the things that are being done manually. So that's how Logix was born. We were basically building AI modules for contracts way before AI became sexy and <laughs> uh, have been uh, implementing that ever since, like you said, to solve the very tough problem of getting contracts reviewed and approved, which every business person you know, knows very, very well.
1: You know, I have been a fan of Law Geeks for many years. I, I think we probably met maybe a year into your founding of the company. And uh, you're right, it was before artificial intelligence was sexy. So let's talk a little bit about how Law Geeks became the first artificial intelligence company to get a license to practice law.
0: Yeah, of course. So I think we were always asking ourselves constantly kind of what do our clients want, right? And it's important to mention that most of our customers are companies, in-house legal teams within companies, usually corporations. Roughly most, you know, 50% of them are Fortune 500 and Global 2000 companies, and the rest are small to medium enterprises. So usually these are companies that already have an in-house legal team. And what we've heard from them many times is the more you can take off my plate, the better, right? So if you're helping me automate the review and approval of a contract, once I give you this task, I would like you to do whatever you can with it. Ideally, I just want to, you know, fire and forget. And we've been very, you know, we've been limited throughout years in many ways because of our product, because of our capability because of the need to build, you know, playbooks for our clients and and get their handshake. But the theme that has emerged is wherever we can take more on ourselves, the better, the happier our clients get. And, you know, some clients are more control freaks and they want to keep everything close to their chest and that's absolutely fine, right? We can cater for that. But most of them really At least for the routine contract, day-to-day commercial stuff, they just want to get it off their plate in the most efficient, cost-effective way. And that's what we've been about in general. So when we read about the Utah sandbox and the ability to receive a license to practice law, which essentially means that we are now able to perform actions that we could not do before then, before we, we got the license, namely to help our clients define their legal policies by providing them legal advice, right? Define or even improve them. And also to actually negotiate contracts and use legal judgment. These are all things that only lawyers can do without the Tuta Sandbox license. So once this opportunity emerged, it it was very clear to us that it can be A great way to improve the value that we deliver for our customers, and to again take the contract a couple of stages forward, hopefully until it's ready for signature. So, you know, that was the motivation behind how we got the license to to practice law. If you like, I can talk a bit about the process also. If you think that I,
1: I think our our audience would be interested in hearing about that.
0: Yep. So. Logix is a unique legal technology company because very early on, we realized that in order to solve this problem of automating the contract review process, you actually do need lawyers because contracts are pretty complicated. It's pretty unique language. And until the technology is is at a place where you can actually do everything at the level and accuracy of a lawyer... If you want to deliver high quality solution that people can actually depend on, you need to have lawyers in house, meaning inside Logix. Yes, but our lawyers are pretty special because what they do is essentially go over the output of the AI to check that it's okay, to make sure there are no discrepancies, to complement the AI once it makes a mistake or if there's something the AI does not do. So. It's a pretty unique breed of legal team and they do all of that within our own platform and our own tools. That's what we've been doing before we got the license in Utah. But we did have lawyers inside the company. They were just not able to practice law because of the, the legal framework. And we had a team like that. Actually, we were fortunate enough to have a team like that in Salt Lake City in Utah. And when the Utah Sandbox came out, which essentially allows lawyers in Utah or companies in Utah to provide legal advice and practice law, even if they are not law firms. It was a great opportunity to actually use the set that we already have in-house, yeah. but we were not able to use before. So we decided to go and apply for a license under the sandbox. We had the fortune of actually working with you, Natalie, on that. And uh, with your help and guidance, we were able to, I think, run a pretty efficient process. I think it took us a few months to get that license, but it was pretty, you know, pretty efficient. And we're very proud of the outcome, obviously.
1: Yes. I, your company is such a perfect example of human and machine partnering, right? The artificial intelligence really working to augment the skills. Of your lawyers and obviously vice versa. And that team is so important. And and I, I think what I so love about the Utah Supreme Court and its regulatory sandbox program is how it really does allow us to rethink the legal system and increase access to legal services. So it was wonderful to see law geeks admitted into that sandbox. So thank you for sharing the process. And, you know, our, our theme for this season is return to the workplace. And it seems like the pandemic drove the rapid acceptance of technologies in ways that nobody anticipated. Do you see that with blog geeks? Are people now more open-minded to this type of technology and automation?
0: Yeah, great question. I, I definitely, definitely see much more openness to adopting technology all across the dino's the legal teams that you speak with i think right now the challenge that i'm actually seeing is because legal teams have been so behind there's a bit of a gold rush in the sense that you know right now they're trying to basically catch up and close this gap and there's a lot to close right so they are still kind of scrambling to prioritize and looking at many different technology initiatives and trying to figure out which ones they should execute on. So I think definitely see more willingness to adopt, but also the need for guidance, the need for prioritization. I think there's they're still very much trying to figure out, you know, what to do in this brave new world. Yes. <laughs> so so true.
1: Every company faces challenges and the start of this decade has been particularly challenging. For other founders and future founders listening, tell us about a personal challenge you've faced as a founder along the way or how you've overcome it.
0: Yes, excellent question. So obviously as, as a founder, you face many, many challenges, personal, professional. You know, it's a pretty lonely uh, job, I would say. Okay. So I can share some of my challenges uh, along the way. If we're talking about a personal challenge, for me, we relocated here about three years ago from Israel. My family and me, uh, we relocated with two young children and now we have three. So as, as a founder and also me coming from legal background, you really immerse yourself, right? You immerse yourself in your job, you immerse yourself in your company. And it's so important that... You know, you have this peace and quiet at home to allow you to do what you do. <sighs> and I think it's important for every professional, but I think for a founder, it's, it's even more important because there's just no, no limit and no boundaries to what is needed from you. And kind of trying to figure out that framework for, for myself and for my family has been challenging, um, especially with, with young kids. In a new country, having to learn a new language, I was really, you know, I am still very fortunate to have a lot of support from my wife and from my family. But that really has been been a challenge, I think, especially, by the way, you know, with the pandemic, of course, with long periods of time where the kids are at home and having to work from a small New York City apartment with two kids. Definitely, (laughs) definitely has been a challenge. And I think the way I personally overcame it and still, you know, it's not a, it's an ongoing uh, thing is a lot of openness and talking about things openly with my wife and trying to figure it out together, but being also very mindful to the challenges that this creates for everyone, for my wife, for my kids and trying to, you know, to balance as much as possible with the understanding that you will never be able to, you know, spend as much time as you want or as you need to spend working. But if you don't pay attention to the other parts of your life, you will not be able to do what you're doing right now. So I think that has been an ongoing challenge for me personally and for my family. But you know, figuring it out together, being very open, sharing also the challenges, I think. I find that when I explain what's going on, right, we are now towards the end of the quarter. It's a very important quarter for us, explaining what's happening. There is this HR challenge in the company, right? Right. Not keeping it inside is actually good because then people understand what you're going through and they support you, even if it's not comfortable for them. So that is one tip I can give you, you founders, uh, you know, get your ducks in a row uh, at home. It's very important for your uh, ongoing success. This is definitely not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. It takes time to build successful companies. There's a lot of challenges along the way. And the more peace and quiet you have at home, the better you can actually execute in your company.
1: I love that. I think that's such Great advice how greater communication about what you're going through as a founder can actually lead to more peace and quiet, which is very much needed as a founder. And to always keep in mind that it really is a marathon. So if you are trying to sprint your way through it, you may not have the outcomes or the stamina that you need. So I I think that's really good advice for founders. And for so long, for decades, really, lawyers and businesses have talked about the need for a more streamlined approach to contracts. I mean, if you think about i and I've, I've seen some of your case studies and you just look at what a, a massive difference it means in the way of hours spent trying to tackle the problem with contracts. And as we were talking about, this decade really has serve to force us to look at new ways to approach problems. And and we are answering some of those, there has got to be a better way questions. And there's no doubt that we have businesses search for and find those solutions, I would say now more than ever, because of what we've been through. So can you provide For our listeners, any guerrilla secrets or stories about leveraging technology or onboarding your first clients?
0: Yes, with pleasure. So, you know, I have to say that my approach has always been very, very, very customer centric. And what we've learned over the years is that, you know, especially with lawyers, they're so busy. They have so many things on their plate and, and often things change very quickly, right? You know, you come into work in the morning, you think this is my priority list, and then there's 10 more things that get added and reshuffled throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> so us as a kind of vendor for legal teams, what we've learned is we basically need to take as much as possible on ourselves if we want to actually drive adoption and be successful in onboarding and really helping them leverage the technology. So it needs to be as simple and easy and streamlined as possible. And even then, the more we can do on our own, you know, setting the playbooks, training, calibrating, configuring, connecting, whatever, anything we can do on our own actually makes a big difference. It improves the chances of being successful. So that is, I don't know if it's secret, but that is one thing that we've learned over the years working with lawyers. And the other thing I would say is, obviously, there are many types of clients, right? many types of of lawyers. I think when I see, when I find a client that is very innovative, in a good way, right? In a practical way, very open, very also pragmatic. It needs to be pragmatic innovation, not you know, just complete theoretical innovation of dreams oh, that true. don't 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 materialize, right? right? But when I find a client like that, that's gold. And sometimes there are challenges, but you know that this is a partnership. I always view this as a partnership, even if I am the vendor and we have a client, it is a partnership, right? Because we're going through this journey together. And when you have someone like that as your partner, you should really hold, hold on to them. Because, you know, when there are challenges, you can have a very open conversation and fix things together. So finding a great customer, you know, once you find that, once you are both on the same page, that's super important and super valuable. Keeping that relationship, investing there. And sometimes I'm even willing to, you know, quote-unquote, lose money, right? Mm-hmm. But because I want to invest in this customer because I believe in the long term. So that's another another thing. I think, you know, figuring out what is the ideal customer for you and when you find them really, nurture them and keep this relationship and invest there a lot because these are hard to come by.
1: What a great way to to put it, to really think of those clients as partners who are looking to adopt creative solutions to doing things better. Are there any examples that you could highlight for us or or any big wins, if you will, in this area?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think what we've seen with the pandemic also is legal teams immediately got their budgets frozen. They could not spend anymore. So it was initially challenging to actually bring new customers on because they could not get the budget to spend. But what we actually saw was a very strong uptake from our existing customers. So existing customers actually have been really expanding with Logix adding more use cases, adding more teams, just using us more and and relying on us more. And I think that has been a great achievement for us. So when you ask me about kind of wins and ambassadors, I think about our customers and specifically the users and the champions within our customers that are helping us spread the word, right? Because there's nothing like a good, happy user and customer to share with their friends. So we've seen expansions into multiple geographies, right? Many of our customers are multinationals. So if we start with the US, all of a sudden they have uh, headquarters in Japan or headquarters in France or somewhere else in Europe, right? So we can add additional teams there. We've seen really additional use cases. So we help sales teams. All of a sudden the procurement team wants to automate their contracts. So these are all uh, things that we're very proud of. And I think Seeing success with existing customers is a very good validation that you're actually delivering value on an ongoing basis. So this is something we are really cherishing and investing a lot in, you know, helping our customers maximize the value that we can drive for them across the whole organization.
1: And then you're you're absolutely right, Nari. Once you do that, there's that power of the referral. I think there's nothing better than someone who's, had the experience in sharing it with others who will be more likely to adopt a solution that's worked for someone they trust. So speaking of which, you've had a successful year last year in raising an additional 20 million of venture funding. What are your plans to grow and how are you currently working to stay ahead of the curve?
0: Yes, uh, great question. So... The challenge with Logix has always been that we are tackling such a big problem, right? (laughs) It's a challenge and it's also, of course, a, a huge opportunity. It's such a big problem, this world of contracts. There are so many contract use cases. There are so many inefficiencies there. There are so many different companies of different sizes that you can cater for and even different business models. And I think something that has been with us from kind of day one, is constantly asking ourselves, okay, where should we really focus on? Who should we really cater for? Because you can't solve everyone's problems, not now, hopefully in the future. So a lot of our product strategy and roadmap strategy is around which specific use cases and customers and verticals do we want to tackle first? So in terms of our plans for growth, a lot of it revolves around that, right? So focusing on specific industries focusing on specific types of contracts that are relevant for those industries where we are seeing more adoption than in other industries for example so you know finance is a good is a good example there's a lot of paperwork there right there's a lot of contracts that finance enterprises handle so okay let's add more use cases for finance. Let's figure out what is unique for finance customers. So this is how we are thinking internally as we are planning ahead. I think another important part of it is looking also at the broader ecosystem of contract technology because Logix is part of a broader ecosystem. We solve the problem of automating a contract review and approval, but there are things that happen before that and after that. Looking at the ecosystem and trying to figure out how we play well with additional solutions is another important part of our of our plan to grow and accelerate our growth.
1: I think we're going to see much greater adoption in, in our legal industry, which has been a slow adopter. I think we've seen definitely a greater willingness to look to these solutions, and, and I hope and believe that... Regulatory sandboxes, such as the one the Utah Supreme Court created, will continue to proliferate throughout the United States. So, so as we take a peek as to should that happen, what will the industry look like going forward, and where you see logics headed? What does that look like to you in in the next year or five years, Mary?
0: Yeah, uh, so. I think, obviously, you know, we're we're in this business, so I definitely think we're going to see a lot more automation, both of the administrative tasks, like contract workflow, signature, contract management, and also of actual legal expertise, which is what Logix does, right? Or actually automating the work, the decision-making that is being done when the contracts are getting reviewed and negotiated and redlined. So we're going to see a lot more of that, I think, I don't know if it's five years or 10 years or, you know, who knows. But I think we will get to the point where every legal function, in-house, law firm, right, has this additional AI resource, let's call it, that is part of that function, that is automating part of their routine and repetitive work. And for the leaders of, you know, thinking about How will my in-house legal team look like five years from now? They need to start thinking about, okay, I'm going to have people that's not going to change, of course, but I'm also going to have technology resources together with those people. And I need to build this ecosystem, this combined solution that will meet my business's needs. Some things need to be done by humans. Some things need to be done by technology. My job as a leader is to figure out the right mix and, of course, start by introducing technology into that. If I'm not introducing technology, I'm not training my muscle. I'm not building my team, my solution for scale. So that's how I think about it. Some organizations obviously are going to be at the forefront of this change. Some will be slower, but in the end, I think everyone will get there.
1: I completely agree with you, Nuri, completely. So one of the things we always like to do on this podcast is share practical tips with other founders and leaders in the technology sector. Are there any lessons or tips that you wish you would have known
0: earlier? Yeah, I sure. So The first thing I would say is, you know, things, especially in legal, take time. It's it's easy to look at instant success in other sectors and say, okay, you know, so we're going to be the same, right? It's going to, we're going to build a billion dollar business in three years. I think in legal, it's extra hard because this industry does not move as quickly as other industries. The buyers, the customers are more hesitant and they're slower. The slower they don't like to take on additional risk in their mind, right? Mm -hmm. So the first lesson or tip I would say is prepare for a longer period of building a company. You know, if you're in this for the short term, legal probably Mm -hmm. is not the right sector for you. Yeah, our, our
1: industry is so reticent to accept change.
0: That's for exactly, sure. exactly so it just needs time. The good news is once once they get there for a specific category of solutions, you start to see very quick adoption from everyone but it just takes time right? it takes time it usually takes longer than other other industries so I would say you know prepare for that and it means prepare for it mentally, personally, when you think about fundraising, all of those things you have to think about them for a bit of a longer term than other technology ventures that you may have seen in other sectors. So that's one tip I could share.
1: That's wonderful, Narek.
0: My pleasure. The other thing I would say is, yeah, and this is a general tip. I don't think it's just for legal. What I found works really well here at Logix is bringing people from other disciplines. So don't necessarily try to build all of your company around lawyers actually bring people from other disciplines into the company, people that are expert. you know, of course, in technology, right? But that's mm-hmm. that's obvious. But also in other places, right? Customer success. The person that leads customer success here, she's not a lawyer, but she's excellent. Yeah. And she, you know, she can actually provide, I think, to some degree, even a better service and support because she's not a lawyer. Actually, if I would be a client, it'd be more interesting for me to talk to someone who's not a lawyer because I'm talking to lawyers all the time right? <laughs> all right So if I can if someone that is an expert in their field can benefit me, I think building a company that combines both people with legal background that are you know very strong in their field but also experts in other areas and investing also in integrating them making them work very well together, having them learn from each other. These are things that I think are also very valuable when you're building a legal tech uh, venture. So constantly try to get out of your comfort zone and look for people who are similar to you and try to find other people that can teach you things, that can do things that you can't do, that your clients can't do. I think that is another uh, very valuable thing that I've learned over the years.
1: That's a great tip, learning to seek out, intentionally seek out other perspectives and getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, I think is a very, very valuable tip. So it is time, sadly, Neri, for us to wrap up our podcast. And I always like to end by telling the audience a uh, fun fact, story, joke, favorite movie, even your drink of choice. And I'll start <laughs> by sharing my fun fact, I guess, that I once lived in El Oriente, which is essentially the Amazon basin in Ecuador, where I ate piranha for lunch and dinner. (laughs) Anything you're willing to share?
0: Yeah. So before I started the company, way before I was actually really into gaming, and um, I especially liked fighting games. So I even (laughs) participated in a competition and I won, I think, maybe fourth place in all of Israel for one wow. of the PlayStation fighting games. So that's something. Oh, I, <laughs>
1: never, I never would have guessed that. That's, that
0: is a really fun fact, Nari. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of my, my proudest achievements. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great. So as we return to the workplace, Logi shows us how leveraging new technology can help us save time and money and also be more effective as lawyers. Initiatives like the Utah Sandbox have accelerated opportunities for innovation in the legal industry and it's wonderful to see your AI-driven contract review automation be part of that mission. Thanks so much for talking with us today, Nuri.
0: My pleasure, Natalie. Thank you for having me. It was (laughs) great. Thank
1: you and LogGeek's continued success and thanks everyone for joining us
0: just listen to the future work playbook. This podcast series is brought to you by Gunderson Detmer, the world's number one law firm representing venture capital funds and high growth companies. Join Natalie Pierce on our next episode as she and her guests help prepare your organization for the future. Please subscribe to the future work playbook.